You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. episode we're going to talk about dave brubeck quartet with the album time out in the room i have rob grady ben and john (laughs) you know uh time out is a studio album by american jazz group the dave brubeck quartet released in 1959 on columbia records produced by teo masaya uh the genre is cool jazz or jazz uh and i got this from all music mark uh deming uh, in the 1950s and 60s, few American jazz artists were as influential and fewer still were as popular as Dave Brubeck. At a time when the cooler sounds of the West Coast jazz began to dominate the public face of music, Brubeck proved that there was an audience for the style far beyond the confines of the in-crowd. And with his emphasis on unusual time signatures and adventurous tonalities, Brubeck showed that ambitious and challenging music could still be accessible. As rock and roll began to dominate the landscape of popular music at the dawn of the 60s, Brubeck enjoyed some of his greatest commercial and critical success, expanding the audience for jazz and making it hip with young audiences and college students. In 1959, they released Time Out, a collection of numbers written in unconventional time signatures such as 5-4 and 9-8. While Columbia Records was initially reluctant to release an album that they felt was too artsy for the mainstream, their fears proved groundless. Time Out became the first jazz album to sell a million copies, and in 1961, it bounced back into the charts with Take 5 unexpectedly taking off as a single rising to 25 on the pop charts and 5 on the adult contemporary charts. With that, what did we think of Dave Brubeck Time Out? Let me tell you. <laughs> tell me about it, Ben. I'd love to be in, a, in an era where this was on the adult contemporary charts. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, this was my, my first listen when I listened to this. So you never heard this album? No, I had heard Take Five, mm-hmm. okay, but I had sure. heard this album. And and I listened to it like three times in a row, and I was walking around that day, and I just kept on finding myself humming it, kept on finding myself tapping to it, and within a week I'd, I'd gone out and, and bought it. And I still, I, I'm not sick of it yet. I listen to it all the time. It's infectious. It's always stuck in my head. I'm always tapping along. And I've got, I, I think I know why, but uh, I, I, I just love it. More than, more than a lot of the, the jazz stuff that we've covered so far, that I've, even the stuff I've been into. I think it rhythmically. 
I think yeah. it just really resonates. You can actually hear a 19-year-old Robert Fripp's dick getting hard, <laughs> <laughs> like, listening to this, because, like, ten years after this, King Crimson's gonna come out with uh, 20th, 20th Century Schizoid Man, mm-hmm. um, or 21st Century Schizoid Man, I've been drinking. But yeah, like, just all the fucking multimeter stuff, yeah, this is absolutely, like, um, you know, I, I know jazz has multimeter through through and through sometimes, but this is absolutely a precursor to the... Uh, the later prog shit that was gonna gonna start coming out. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, it, absolutely. And the and the whole thing is so laid back and catchy. Mm-hmm. You don't even realize it's in nine eight or mm-hmm. it's be alternating swing between five yeah. or swing nine or swing seven or three and four the way that they do, and you almost don't notice it. And it, it just, I mean, I, I think a lot a lot of that is. I mean, Morello, the drummer, is so. Hasty. I mean, even in that, <laughs> even in the solo, he on on take five. It, it's it's one of the most like. Uh, it seems really simple, but it, it's actually incredibly complex. The way he's playing around that that meter. Um, it's such a cool solo, so and cool. I don't like all the all the space there that he uses. I mean, a lot of it starts out. He's just sort of hitting these big kick notes, and then there's silence for the rest of the measure, and then. He slowly sort of chips away with the snare and moves back into it. The whole time, Brubeck's <clears throat> just keeping down that it's the only constant through the whole song, down. that two-chord piano riff, yeah. and, and that swings it, and it gives... What's the drummer's name? Jamal Morello. It gives Morello... That you can tell he kind of like he warms up to the solo. Like At first, he's like underplaying it, kind of like, what am I going to do in 5-4? But with the piano just holding down that rhythm, it gives him the freedom to really figure out what he can do it's with a like 5-4. It's like New Orleans shuffle yeah. and he starts rocking in yeah. there. And all, oh, man. It's, like I said, tasty. It's <laughs> very tasty. Don't laugh, but it's so tasty. Nice. Yeah. There was uh, mu- much discussion about Bro. Joe Morello and Paul Desmond, the saxophonist. They kind of had a... Uh, a Desmond, rock. who actually wrote Take 5. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And they kind of had a little bit of a... Rivalry, I guess you would say, or a little bit picking at each other because uh, Morello, one time, Brubeck, they were playing, and he said, "You know, Joe, we're gonna we're gonna feature you. I'm gonna, you know, go ahead and do a solo here." And he did a solo, and he was getting the crowd into it and everything. And Paul Desmond walks off stage, and he's like, "I'm not coming back. Like, I'm not doing this unless he either he's gone or I'm gone." And uh, Dave Brubeck was like, "He's not leaving." So just get over it, and uh, you know, a couple times when uh, Paul Desmond would be playing, uh, Joe would be like, "Oh, did I hit too many notes for you there? Did, did, <laughs> I, did are you keeping up?" You know, they would have like a, a little bit of a rivalry, but I think it was, uh, you know, produce something like this, which is just fantastic. straight up shake your ass to take five and it's in five four the only other song that i can think of off the top of my head that's in five four is the theme to mission impossible 
Mm-hmm. And though catchy, you can't shake your ass to it. Yeah, you know, not in the same way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So take five actually popped up a couple times, and you know it got resurgent in from movies and from all sorts of commercials, and you know it seems to come back uh, time and time again, just based on how inventive it is and how uh, you know cool sounding it is. Yeah, I, I agree. This is. Like amazing to to uh, amazing music and well executed, like perfectly executed with all the players. Pink Floyd money's in five. Oh yes, it is. You can kind of shake your ass to money a little bit. I'll give I'll give it to it. I mean, I think people. No, I'm sorry. Money's in seven. No, 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 to money all all the time. Disqualified. I I beg your pardon. (laughs) They're called strippers. Oh yeah. Hey. Holst's Mars. Can I say that I appreciate the uh, puns and wordplay in the uh, in the track titles? With uh, there's normally a clue to what time signature the song is, mm-hmm. like uh, three to get ready or take five. Then uh, you know he's got the the follow up album uh, time further out. Yeah, that's got like unsquare dance. Yeah, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just me. But there's some songs where, like, if the title doesn't necessarily have a direct reference to the time signature, the title is the right amount of syllables and in the right cadence to be said as the hook of the song. Like, for example, uh, Everybody's Jumping. It's like, everybody's jumping, everybody's jumping. Yeah. It's like, everybody's jumping, everybody's jumping, everybody's jumping, everybody's jumping. Yeah. And there's other ones, too. It's interesting. (laughs) Like, yeah. Like the 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 first uh, like melodic line of strange mellow metal arc is like ba 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 ba, like and in my head I'm just hearing like strange metal arc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean a lot of jazz. That's a lot of those songs like we were talking about. So what? Like, so what? Yeah. yeah. Some of those things do come out of just like what you'd be perceiving someone singing or hear them saying, you know, while they were they were uh, doing their thing. Um, I guess I should mention that this album was initially intended to be kind of an experiment using styles that Brubeck discovered while abroad on a United States Department state-sponsored tour of uh, Europe. So He got the 9-8 from like Hungarian folk songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Turkish. Turkish. Sorry, yeah, Turkish. Mm-hmm. But, ah, yeah. I'm but, a Turk. Yeah, he was he was well established <laughs> at this time. I mean, he he was super popular. Um, a lot of people thought that he kind of gained a little bit more popularity because he was a white guy. He had a crew cut glasses, and he looked the part of being a uh, sort of a friendly introduction into jazz. Sure. So a lot of people said, you know, initially, or maybe some people were haters, you know, hating on Brubeck. The the critics weren't always terribly receptive. Not for this album, initially, yeah. Because this album was too ethnic with it being Eastern European. I think it was... (laughs) No, I'm serious. (laughs) That was was a lot of the problem. And, I mean... It's the wrong kind of white. That's what (laughs) Columbia said, you know, oh, it's pretty artsy, you know. Which is strange, because there was all sorts of free jazz and shit like that going on at the same time. Which was way more out there. But maybe they, they were like, why don't you just play it play it safe you know why do we need to put out this album that has these time signatures has these breaks that come you know 
change time signatures midpoint through the song and oh you mean the cool parts things. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> all the cool parts why yeah. don't just take those out um but yeah i think it it proved people the haters wrong um of being like no i'm not just i don't just look the part you know i can also do sure. this well just the way that 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 nine eight flows right into the swung Four four in Blue Rondo. It's just like a it's a it's a it's perfect. Oh yeah, just those those sort of hybrid meters. Like nine eight and that melody is almost like a it's like a busy traffic montage and then like and then like you step into like the cool smoky club it's like you could you could absolutely choreograph a movie scene where he's like running down the streets in a chase and then he dips into a club to like get out of the way and then he goes back and forth well they use uh it's gotta have been done they use they use unsquared dance in baby driver do they i still need to say that's right uh, yeah. So I think you know, and that whole movie is basically choreographed. It is. Yeah. 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 I just want to listen to more of this album now. Yeah, me too. say timeout was the first jazz album to sell more than a million copies the single take five was also 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 has sold a million copies so first album to go through the roof even wordplay in the album title yeah timeout of four four (laughs) (laughs) exclusively (laughs) so what uh since though it's uh it's gone obviously platinum um well, just since the last album, the last couple sessions ago we did was Kind of Blue, which is also considered one of the, just wondering how quickly that hit. Exactly. Any sort of, you know, gold or platinum status. Yeah, and again, I, I think it... Damn. I think... Kind of Blue didn't hit anything until, like, 77? Is that true? So that, that was much more of a creep up the charts than... Maybe it was rediscovered later on. I think so. Yeah, Brubeck was already well established, and this, this just hit the this. audience and the, uh, you know, the kids. Mm-hmm. The kids were digging it, and it was hip, and it was just the right, right place, right time, for for this one. Now, granted, I can like count the jazz pianists that I'm familiar with on two hands, but do parts of this remind anyone else of like like Vince Guaraldi type stuff? Well, yeah. Doesn't Brubeck also do one of the Charlie Brown specials? 
I thought that was all Geraldi. I thought there's a Brubeck that on a on a Charlie Brown. Let me check. There, there's a, a similarity in some of the voicings and the and the chord progression. Some of the more melodic, almost pastoral type types of melodies. He, um, he wrote the soundtrack for "This Is America," Charlie Brown. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Isn't that's really cool? Metal Arca, Magic Card. Metal <laughs> 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 Graph. Blue White Flash, Tutu Flyer. <laughs> <laughs> Some weird ability. Um, yeah, there, there is. I, I hear that too, Ben. Um, I will say that also. I really appreciate the the uh, art on the cover. Oh, it's so cool! I had to look up who it was. And it's. I, I assumed because if you like time further out, the cover of Time Further Out is Moreau. Yeah. So I assumed that this was going to be some other like notable artist. It was a designer that worked for the label. Okay. Yeah. Neil uh, Fujita? Yep. Fujita, mm. yeah. Um, not surprisingly, um, Thelonious Monk, the same year, had a very similar... Was that the same... Same year. Yeah, yeah. was it the same designer? Yes, it was. That's all... Because, yeah, I was, looking at, I, saw, I was looking at them both today. Yes. And I did a double take. Yeah, just for... To, uh, I thought it was uh, the same... Mingus uh, Fu- Fujita, yeah, he also did uh, Fujita. The book jackets were both in Cold Blood and The Godfather with the marionette um, mm-hmm. hand thing. So, um, quite well known. And yeah. So I think it, it's perfectly fitting, too. Great So great the cover. abstract cubism was just... He could also do marionette hands. <laughs> <laughs> he can do it all. He can do it all. <laughs> uh, does anybody have... A favorite other than or any anything they wanted to talk to about other than uh, I mean time out and... well we we normally are listening to these albums in the background and we had to put a bit of a moratorium on this one initially because we yeah. knew we were just going to immediately start like drumming on stuff and like <laughs> yeah snapping I, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to concentrate God, with it's, with it's, the timing and when desmond's, it gets in your head desmond's sax is just so sweet and like euphoric and joyous and like it just makes me so damn happy yeah oh, yeah it's, now it's, uh, I mean, for good reason now i'm we're listening and i, I can't even continue a, a train of thought because <laughs> i just want to um, I will say uh, one thing about you know this quartet or when he established this court, he got uh, Eugene Wright, who was a black bassist. He was the man for the part, absolutely. And Dave Brubeck was pretty enamored with him that he would go on tour, and they were saying he can't be on stage. Like in in the southern states, he would go to colleges and things and say, "No, your basses can't be on stage. The rest of you guys are fine, but he can't be on stage." Um, and Brubeck would use the opportunity to get the crowd kind of riled up and they would be stamping because he was so popular you know mm-hmm. so he could kind of pull his weight and being yeah, like hey we're not gonna go on stage what's the deal but i guess um one time they uh he was like okay tell you what i'll, I'll put him in the back how about that and they were like okay that's fine but then they started playing the place is going crazy right after the first song he's like Oh, uh, Eugene, I don't think your mic's working. You better come up here to the front. <laughs> and so he basically just got his, you know, got his way yeah. um, by just being like, screw you. Like, this is our, this is our group, which you got to respect him for, for doing that. I mean, he could easily just said, well, I'll, I'll get a different basis. But yeah. he was just like, no, this is Yeah, sticking to his guns from the this mid-40s the all the way through to the yeah. 60s and 70s when that was a problem still. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was in one of the first integrated bands in the army. I mean, he was he was drafted into the third 
uh, Third Army in, in Eastern Europe or in, in Europe in the European Front for World War II, and I think they had him play like something minor for a USO show, and they're like, "No, you're not going to be, you know, enlisted grunt anymore. You're going to form a band and play." <laughs> and so he formed a, a interracial group in 1942, the Wolf Pack. In my fan fiction, while he's playing in a band uh, with. The army overseas. He comes across Marty Robbins, right. <laughs> who's also there playing his Hawaiian guitar on his on his boat. And they do special ops. And they do special ops missions together. Big Iron and yeah. uh, <laughs> what would Brubeck's code name be? Time out. <laughs> the strange metal arc. Strange metal arc. <laughs> and Big Iron. I read that. And they call them the the Dave Robinsons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. What do we think? Not only does it belong <laughs> on the list, uh, from first listen, I was hooked, went out and found myself a copy, been listening to that ever since, and the couple of times I've been to a record store since, I've gone to the Jazz Bees uh, just to see if they've got me there, and I, I think I'm a, probably a fan for life. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Can anybody deny? No. I don't think anybody can deny this album. It's so sweet. Yeah. Fantastic. Oddly, uh, very fitting for winter, too. For, I, yeah. I don't know why, but... I mean, I've listened to it in the summer, and but it feels good in the winter. It does. It's not like an icy sort no. of album in any way, and it's not cold or anything, but I... It was a fresh purchase when I went to my folks' place for uh, for Christmas a few weeks ago, and I, br- I always bring up all my Christmas records, and I brought this one up, too, just because I'd just gotten it, and it, it fit right in. Yeah. You know, we were also listening to a lot of Vince Guaraldi. Maybe it's the it, echoes of yeah. Guaraldi. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it fit right in. Yeah. All right. Next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Joan Baez' self-titled album. And we will be transitioning into the 1960s. Thank God. Out of the 50s. Thank you.